Hi, I'm George A. Milton, America's Failure Coach. Welcome to the Failure is Not the Problem podcast. Listen, you know as well as I do that failure is a problem for most people. Why is that? In a single word, conditioning. Conditioning is simply training. You have been taught that failure has to be negative. I am here as your personal coach to help you relearn how to accept your failures and turn those experiences into positive mindset, change, and success. Look, motivation, empowerment, and inspirational stories, they're all well and good, but that's not what keeps us going. That's not what's going to change your life, and that's not what's going to move the needle in your health, your wealth, your happiness, your abundance, or your ability to be able to help other people make a difference. What keeps us going, what produces results in our lives is balance, not success alone. You have to develop a healthy balance between success and failure. It does not have to be one or the other. And when you can get yourself past the things that stop you and hold you back, that's when you'll thrive and that's when you will finally live a whole life. You'll be much happier. I will help you recondition your mindset by exchanging ideas and strategies to guide you in making transformation so that you can thrive. But most of all, I'm going to give you something every single episode which you can utilize to create change in your life. Failure is about learning how to embrace your challenges and taking 100% responsibility for your life. People hate to talk about anything that has to do with failing. It's like Uncle Bruno. We don't talk about it. Nothing good comes from it. You know, nothing good comes from talking about failure. Bruno Magrell is a fictional character who appears in one of my favorite Walt Disney animation pictures, Encanto. It all boils down to the fact that Bruno's habit of predicting terrible events in people's future, which would later come to pass, made people anxious and worry of him, ultimately leading to him being ostracized. This is very similar to how people respond to us when we fail. Parents feel anxious when their children fail. Leaders, family, and friends often ostracize us when we fail. Or at best, they patronize us because they don't know how to respond. So how can we make failure okay to talk about while making it fun and failure-tastic? You need to laugh and learn when you fail. That's how we do it. Don't always take your failures so seriously. Allow your failures to educate you on your next step or your journey in life. Most of us know what fun is, but what is a failure-tastic moment? I created that word and had it trademarked. You know, a failure-tastic moment is when you have a, a goal or something that you want to accomplish, and you're trying to pursue that endeavor, but you face failure after failure after failure. Like when I was trying to become an Army officer, it literally took me several years to do so. But you know what? Instead of quitting, I never gave up. And because I did not give up, I accomplished that goal and more because of the lessons I learned along the way. Accomplishing such a goal or a dream would be what? Fantastic. No, that would be a failure-tastic moment. Hello, everyone. I am your host, George A. Milton, America's Failure Coach. Today, I want to introduce you to an amazing nurse who is changing the planet within her chosen profession. Hello, Sherry. It's good to be with you. How are you doing today? Hi, George. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have you on the program today, Sherry. Man, this is just going to be fantastic. So why don't we do this? Why don't we um, uh, start out by uh, you telling the audience uh, a bit about your background and what you do to impact our planet. My name is Sherry Megerly. Right now, I'm a professor at UT Health San Antonio teaching psychiatry and mental health nursing. I've been a nurse for 24 years now. I, I received my baccalaureate degree in the Philippines, came to pursue 
graduate studies in forensic nursing and my PhD is in forensic nursing too. I help the community. I'm an executive board of the Philippine Nurses Association San Antonio. I'm a community chair and that alone is so much. We do a lot for our community and that's about it. Wow, what an impressive background. Golly, you know what? Uh, I learned something new today. I didn't know you had a PhD. I'm about to salute you, man. That's, wow, outstanding. And then coming from the Philippines also. And that particular field of forensic science, what in the world? When, when did you decide to go into that particular field? And what prompted you and, and motivated you to go into nursing to begin with? Well, nursing, it was my mom. I did want to be an accountant because I love math. But I didn't have any regrets. I think this is where I should be and my passion in helping especially diverse and the minority group, helping them. It's very fulfilling in bringing me to teaching, which now I love. And I've been teaching since 2008, so that long. Um, What brought me to forensics, I actually started with administration. I've always wanted to be that up there. Um, while, while I was going through my master's degree and we were exposed to forensics and we were working with the SWAT team and, you know, because there are different areas in forensics. In, in forensics, we were touching the legal aspects for medical malpractice as a nurse coroner, and we were profiling criminals. We were going to the crime lab. So it was very interesting in getting exposed to our forensic patients. And when we say forensic patients, these are mentally ill patients who have committed crimes. And the goal is to get them competent to stand in trial. And of course, After I finished my master's in forensics, I was hired by a county in Cincinnati. I I completed my master's at Xavier University in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I was hired in, in a county to cover four hospitals and work with abuse and rape, you know, domestic violence, abuse, rape. So those are the things that I did. Uh, initially, I thought I would work well with the children, you know, the children population because very soft-spoken and get, I guess with the Asian, you know, looks, we, we really look young. Yeah, I mean, when I graduated, I felt like I looked like a, you know, a high school graduate. So I thought I'd be able to, to connect more with the kids. And that was the most challenging time for me because... It was it was very hard. It was getting counterproductive, and I had my first son. I mean, my eldest son, and I I got so paranoid, and even my husband was concerned that I couldn't do anything. I was very protective of my son because I saw more of what the public can't see. I mean, gosh, man! I mean, it would take the the courage to be able to do so the stamina that it would take to be able to be in your particular field uh, you would definitely want someone to, be able to look at you and you know we have this this tv view of you know what forensic scientists look like and i mean even though you look sharp you look i mean it would just be like you do all of what oh man that's that's crazy as a military guy i could never imagine myself doing such a thing right so now your parents specifically your mom wanted you to become a nurse as you and i both know you know one of the number one programs that you know Filipino parents want their kids to be a part of is nursing well what she wanted me to do was to be a doctor and now what to choose the pre-med was the the challenge because 
I really didn't want to be a doctor. So it was between nursing and physical therapy. Physical therapy is five years there. In nursing, it's only four years. So I chose the route as a nurse. But then I realized I was, was a calling. I, I, I did love nursing. I mean, I, I enjoyed the journey. You know, Sherry, one of my responsibilities as a university professor uh, was, and I mentioned this to you when we, when we first met, is that I had to actually recruit nurses. Well, I shouldn't say I had to recruit nurses, right? I was the recruiting operation officer, so I had to recruit all of the students coming into our program. And I, you know, began recruiting nurses. I didn't have a nurse mission, but I saw the opportunity to actually go and have those folks, because I knew the Army were actually short nurses. So I just took it upon myself, took the initiative, and on campus, you know, set up all these programs to where nurses were actually interested. So uh, you and I are similar backgrounds in that. But when I was actually recruiting these kids, you know, there there was a lot of uh, angst and, and fear in terms of trying to get in the program because of the NCLEX, the filling out of that. As you and I both know, you can go through the entire nursing program. If you can't pass the NCLEX, man, I mean, you just can't become a nurse. Even if you have that background, you have to choose a, a different field. So with that saying, you know, were you fearful of not getting accepted into the nursing program or even failing out of the nursing program? And if so, how did you deal with that frustration or potential failure? Uh, I've never doubted my potential. I was accepted in government scholar. It's a university where they would only accept 30 students. And it's a, it's a scholarship program. They At that time, we had 1,500 applicants and only 30 were chosen. And, and when we took all the tests, actually, it's more testing. We took the test and I ranked second. So that... That wasn't the the question in getting into that program. I already know because we always had, it It was 100% pass rate. And the hospital, the school was affiliated to, it's a government hospital. And we can have all the experience that we can. I mean, I, I remember I, one of the requirements to take the board is to be able to, to do what we call five major and 10 minor surgeries. Major means you're assisting the doctor in doing surgery. So I had craniotomy. I had to stand for eight hours while, you know, getting, giving all the instruments the doctor needs during surgery. So that really wasn't a question. But yes, throughout that journey, it was hectic. And the difference now as a professor here in the U.S., one can be a nurse, which we call the, the licensed vocational, the LVN. One can be a nurse in a year. And we have the associate for two years. You know, a person can be a nurse. In our country, we don't have the LVN and the ADN. We have the BSN. So it was four years. It was tough, even though I knew we were going to be, you know, it's 100% pass rate. We were held to that standard. And it was, we, I was only sleeping two to three hours. And at one point I thought, can, can I really make it? So yes, the anxiety is there. The fear is there. And I've worked so hard for this for four years. And what if I don't pass the test? And I took the test and still I felt like, did I even pass it? And when, of course, when the, the results came, I was so happy and excited to say I passed. But, but yes, answering your question, you know, even if I got into that school, there was still anxiety and fear that I wouldn't make it. Of course, yes. And so I empathize with the students here. 
Wow. Yeah, I want the audience to, to, to listen to what you just said. Very powerful, right? I mean, even with your confidence, even with your high test scores, even being selected at the top of your classes, right? You, you still had some angst about whether or not uh, you were going to be able to make it through. And what I want people to understand that that's a part of the human condition to, to wonder, even if you're as great as you. I mean, I've accomplished a couple of things, right? I started as an enlisted guy and and eventually, you know, transferred over into the officer program. But man, it was, even though I was extremely confident, right? I knew, I knew my stuff. I, I just did. And I don't say it in a bragging sort of way. I just prepared myself. But even with that, sorry, there, there were uh, a lot of times I didn't know if I was going to make it through. I mean, I just did not, but I just kind of hung in there. And what re was really interesting and important to me is that all of the failures that I had actually had actually contributed to my success. So I guess... I mean, can you think of an example how your failed experiences contribute to your success? Well, you know, in, in healthcare, if we even how successful a person is or however how smart the person is, the innovation and the changes and everything that's going on, and if we don't keep up, then no matter how smart a person is, I'm not saying it's a failure, you know, they, these are opportunities that, that a person can, you know, but, but failure, you know, I, I don't know how, I still feel like there's a lot to learn there. I, I feel like I don't even, I, I still don't know so much and I, I feel like I don't know anything. And even though I keep reading and reading, and I thought, oh, this, and failure, I think these are more opportunities, um, especially with, with our students and even just a basic thing of not doing well in the test, they think they're a failure. These are opportunities for them to see what they're missing and maybe some opportunities they need to work on. So I don't really see it as failures, I guess. And that, that's the perspective of how I see it. It, it, makes, it makes a person hopeless if we see it as a failure, like how can I? But opportunities, it's, it's a more positive thing. And I guess it's because seeing different perspectives, different population. When I go talk to our forensic patients, they've been in and out of you know, the prison. And they, they feel like it's hopeless. And students, and of course, we have children in and the mental hospital, you know, and we don't even call it psychiatric anymore. We call it behavioral units now because we cater to so many and the stigma out there. Oh, now you done touched on something here, man. You know, uh, I was going to get to this, but you've already, you know, jumped ahead of the line here. Uh, so let's talk about that for a second. Interesting enough is that when, when dealing with this particular topic, you know, I'll, I'll ask a question oftentimes in terms of, you know, are you afraid of failing? And invariably, people will say, oh, yeah, man, you know, I, I get so paranoid about it. I, I just get so, I just can't do anything because I'm so fearful of the failure, right? And and then I follow up and I said, you know what? I don't believe that you really fear failure. And it's like, well, well yeah. I said, no, no, no. I said, well, think about it for a second. I don't think it's really the failure that people fear. It's the stigma associated with that failure, right? So it's not really the failure because people know they're going to fail. So the stigma which comes along with the failure is what people are concerned about. How are people going to view me? What are people going to think about me? What are people going to say about me? You know, will I have any worth or any value? And we've given nothing but a negative connotation to that particular word, which brings about a lot of stigma. So I'm glad you actually brought that up, right? And I mean, I, I experienced that sort of mindset for quite a while. And what we're trying to do with this program, you know, failure is not the problem, right? And the reason I wrote the books and created the clothing brand is because I want to change people's mindset to see failure as a great opportunity. Oprah Winfrey says that all failure is is an experience, right? 
you know, prior to learning to think the way I do now, grow. That, that's right. Growth, growth mindset versus, you know, the fixed mindset thing. But that was a time in which my perspective was the same as most people when it comes to failure. It was, it was a negative. I was taught I didn't have any value. I mean, I failed just, just quickly, right? I failed kindergarten. Most people just, that's a freebie. How can you fail kindergarten? But I managed to do it, right? So kindergarten, I failed the first grade, almost every grade after that, I Barely graduated high school, needed to take a correspondence course to do that. Couldn't even spell correspondence. I literally failed out of six colleges. Yeah, failed, uh, dropped out of six colleges and universities. That's how I ended up in the Army. And I ended up in the Army, you know, with a lot of failures. So one day I'm at the weapons qualification range and I failed. Look, I grew up hunting. That's how you got your food, right? And I went to the weapons qualification range. I thought it would be a breeze because, I mean, I've been around weapons systems my whole life as a kid. And I failed the weapons qualification. And I, yeah, I go back to the dorm and the platoon sergeant was asking me what was wrong. I was moping around. And he said, hey, private, what's your problem? I, I told him about all this failure. And then the weapons qualification range. And I was fearful of not passing that gun range because if you don't pass the weapons qualification range, you cannot be in the army. And he said something then that, that literally transformed the way in which I saw failure. From that day forward to this day present, he says to me, private, failure is not the problem. It's how you respond to the failure. And I apply that to everything I, I do today, right? And so I went on from that to barely graduating to now have four degrees, uh, two of which are masters, one from the Army War College, number one you know, Army College on the planet, right? I actually started my doctorate, right? So got 17 hours into a doctorate and was doing some other stuff. And the Army says, hey, look, come do this. And I dropped out of the program and, you know, never looked back and went on and it's pretty crazy thing. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with two things that you said. Number one, the stigma piece is huge. Number two, the perspective piece is really huge, especially when you're in you know, positions of leadership and authority and influence such as your, yourself. And I say that to segue into this, is, is how do you help those you lead experience failed experiences, sir? It's changing how they perceive things in their mindset. And it's very easy to say that. But when you're in that position, it really is a struggle. I mean, even just not passing the ATI. The ATI is precursor of how we're going to tell or know if the student is going to make it in the NCLEX, you know, and then it increases more anxiety. And the next time they take it, the anxiety is just building up. But not looking back and moving forward and just we teach a lot of reflection too. And not minding what other people say about them and the perception that we, we can't change other people, but we can change we. And that's always what we teach, not just for nursing students, but everybody. We can't change, even with my kids. That's what I teach them. If you're in a room and you cannot stand a person, you don't ask the person to change for you, but change your mindset on that person. It's either you stay there and be with that person or leave. I mean, step back and leave. You always have choices, but we cannot change other people. No, you're right. I, I think that you're spot on, right? It's oftentimes, I mean, we, we can influence folks, right? But changing them, I agree with you, man. It's just not something that we're okay. And we do have we do have a lot of if if for a student like our students, we teach them that they're not 
alone that we do have resources out there that if they just keep keeping it to themselves like just as the university professors we have the the student success center and in majority of the time the failure is not because of them but extenuating circumstances around them like for example we had a student who didn't come to class for a while and if i will just see it objectively that coming to class student fails you know but reaching out to the student and asking them and that's the thing about mental health it's a lot of subjectivity in here it's not objective like you have to sit down and ask them what's going on to be able to empathize and understand where they're coming from and you know what they're going through and i've i learned that it's not that that student didn't want to come to class the student didn't have money to buy gas to be able to come to class and so finding that and learning that circumstance we have different programs that can help them financially and if they're having trouble with um study habits we have the success center who provides mentors to their mentors and and a lot of things but the failure doesn't come from just them alone some some students especially the ones who are high achievers what we call them they do get they beat themselves up like it's my fault that's really great information and i i just want the audience to understand everything that you just said i mean it's really important that you have the right perspective and when people appear to be failing or people appear not to be accomplishing the things that others put upon them or they think that they want to accomplish themselves man it's not really the failure that we should focus on we should actually try to help folks out specifically what i'm trying to do is help people change their mindset and train it to see failure is not you know uh things that are beyond your ability to be able to move beyond right it's just learning experiences is what it's always taught me yeah it's like failure is not an option right when you see it just just keep looking oh i'm gonna challenge you on that I'm going to challenge you on, oh, I love that. I love that. Here's why I love that, right? It's because I hear that oftentimes. I will tell people the title of my book, Failure is Not the Problem. And then they'll repeat it back to me and they'll say, uh, yeah, I just, you know, he just wrote a book and it's entitled Failure is Not the Option. I said, no, 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 I said, I said Failure is Not the Problem. Because we're conditioned to say that is why I'm pushing back. Think about this for a second, sir. So we have been taught that in order to become successful, and I understand what, what, what the gist is. They're trying to get folks, you know, motivated. They want to, they don't want people to quit. They want people to keep moving forward. I always say when you fail, carry on. That's what they're trying to get people to do. But here's the reality is failure is an option. And here's why failure is an option, because failure is a part of the equation, right? Failure is a part of our life. Failure is a part of what we do. What we've got to do is change how we see that and accept that failure. I mean, it's an option because there's no way not to fail. So if there's no way not to it's part of yes yes so it's part of us in in embracing that failure is going to help us move forward that's the only thing it's part of us and we can't deny that that's really the point so if that is indeed the case and it is right as you so eloquently stated then it it didn't have to be an option we just need to learn how to respond to it correctly and i love the word i often use is the word you just used is we have to embrace our failures and learn from them One of the things that I was thinking about when you were speaking a moment ago is I read this story where you had this college professor and he goes to his board and he starts to write the multiplication table, table nine. He goes nine times nine, nine nine times two is 18, nine times three is 27, so on and so forth, all the way to nine times 10. When he gets to nine times 10, he writes 91, right? (laughs) So the students 
you know, started to laugh. One guy even yells, good one, right? Trying to make fun of it. And he turns around. He says, you know what? I wrote this table here because I wanted you to learn a lesson. He says that, you know, I got nine of those answers correct. And no one congratulated me on that. He says, but as soon as you saw, you know, that I put down 91 for nine times 10, you begin to criticize. So that's what reality is in our world. Is and that's the problem yes. with our community. They can see yeah. the wrong, yeah. not the best. You, you and, and just like failure, right? Mm. Failure has more benefit than success. You, you talk to anyone who is, you know, a modicum of success. You talk to, I mean, tons of folks. I read books all the time about folks who have actually gone on and became extremely wealthy, right? And not only money, but also in just experiential kinds of things. You know, success is not always about money, even though we make it about that. Just accomplishing a goal of some sort, that's a successful, fantastic moment. But they do say this, is that they learned way more from their failures than they ever did from their successes. So that's why it's so important to change people's mindsets to see failure as something that's positive and not negative. So it's interesting that, you know... No, and surrounding ourselves with positive people is a very good way to get over that because they have the same mindset of, it's okay, it's okay to fail. But, but, actually, but actually, I am different. It's like, oh my gosh, I, oh, I beat myself up. I, I should not fail. I should have been proactive. I should have seen that. And I actually categorize stuff because we're kind of harsh to nursing students because they're not dealing with computers. They're dealing with human beings. And some mistakes, yes, some mistakes cannot be, you know, they're irreversible. The damage cannot be. If a computer, if I mess up a computer, I can pay for it. I can buy a new one. But if we don't, a mistake with a person is different. Some some are irreversible. So we're, we're very, just being proactive and, and we're very, we, we want to make sure that Yes, failure is there. It's an option, but to minimize the failure, which failure is good because they learn pretty quick. And the earlier they experience failure in life, the better they're going to be. I mean, you know, if so we encourage students as, as a professor, we encourage students to ask a lot of questions and to be mindful and to be open so we can guide them to the right direction. And so they can... Like mistakes, it, it's more acceptable when they're students, but when they're out there. So, so I'm kind of hard on mistakes because I've seen so much in where I am right now that some mistakes are irreversible. Although mistakes can happen and failures can happen, we need to embrace that because it's part of life and it's part of who we are. And we can't neglect something that's part of us. So if, if growth, success is part of us, then failure should be part of us. If we accept success, we should yes. accept failure too. That's, right? That's, yes, yes. I'm excited. That is the point, right? Gosh, I got, I got chills right now because of what you just said. That is so extremely powerful. And I want the audience to really go back and listen to this podcast because everything that you're saying is so absolutely true. And they've got to get to a point to where they understand. I mean, you know, as the story continued on with this, you know, this professor, he asked the question. He said, you know, well, why did you laugh and why did you respond and why did you criticize me? 
And, you know, the one young lady says, well, because you're supposed to be smarter than us because you're the professor. And he says, well, I may be in a position of influence and authority, but that doesn't mean I'm smarter than you. I'm still a human being and I'm capable of mistakes, right? I mean, there's still so many things I don't know. Yeah. So I got to ask this question because I know the organization that I grew up in made it okay to fail. The Army, in fact, the Army oftentimes put us in positions whereby there was no way to succeed because they wanted to see how we were going to act and respond under pressure to failure. So does your organization make it okay to fail? Yes, because if not, then we don't have a support system and we don't have resources out there that's going to help them. If everybody's successful, then why do we have the success <laughs> center, right? Why do we have tutoring lessons and why do we have all of those? And that's just part of life. I am really enjoying this because you're saying some things from your perspective, especially in terms of your chosen field, in terms of your being out in front of students, in terms of you being so powerful. Oh, yeah. My my kids have been, especially my senior, if I would count the failures, I think it's countless. But they need to learn those and they need to fail while they're under our responsibility so we can teach and nurture them. But, but the failure and the success, too, is great. I mean, he's doing very well, but he's learned and he's a very, the well-being, the growth is um, significant because of his failures. So the more that he experiences the downside, the more he appreciates the people surrounding him who've helped him climb back up. And the efforts that he did, again, failure is at the bottom. When he was at the bottom and the people and, and everybody who helped him go up, he nurtures. And, and, and that's when, because it's just part of life. But it's part of life. But I, I love the authenticity that you just shared with us from the standpoint of your own you know, children. I mean, my kids, you know, because I had so much failure and because by the time they came along, I pretty much got a handle on all of this. As my kids would come home and just, you know, just depressed over, as little bitty kids, right? Just depressed. And so they grew up with this type of mindset that I have in terms of how they use failure today. And they're all reasonably successful because of it, I believe. But I, I used to share with them all the time when they would come home because of a challenge or a failure, not getting a great grade. And I always explained to them. And I reminded them of this throughout their entire lives is that if you get all A's on every exam that you have and you've not learned anything, then you fail. If you get all C's on Every test you ever take, but you understand the concept and the philosophy and the formulas, then you have been successful. So don't worry about the grade. My goal for you is to learn the principles, right? Mm, exactly. It's the quality versus the quantity. When, when he was in, in middle school, a lot of his classmates were taking all these humongous AP, AP, whatever, right? And I, I asked him, okay, even if you took AP, if you, you didn't learn, and what are you going to do? So we homeschooled at one point during the pandemic. So everybody was homeschooled. And he tells me, oh, I finished, you know, I finished everything up to chapter eight. And I would ask him and test him. And he didn't even learn anything. So I would tell him to go back to chapter one. Go back to chapter one again. And he would say, oh my, I finished chapter eight. I, I don't care about the quantity of what you've finished. The most important thing here is, even if you've only finished chapter one, if you've learned, it's better than finishing chapter eight and you didn't even learn anything. So 
two or three times I had him go back. Okay, go back to chapter one. You're not making it. So it's better to be slow and sure. Oh, slow and sure. Man, I'm going to have to write a book about yes, that. Yes, it's better to be slow and sure <laughs> than you're, you know, you're getting all of this, but there's nothing. You know, the the brain is empty. And- you know, man, I tell you, I couldn't help but to, but to laugh at some of the things you said because there were fun moments, right? And when we talk about failing, and I talk about making it fun and making it failure-tastic. I was going to ask the question, how do you make it fun? But you've already demonstrated how it's easy to make failure, failing fun, right? I mean, for us, I mean, it's fun because we don't have to go back and do it. And if, you know, now when your son goes back and he goes and he listens to the kind of things that he was doing, now he has this opportunity to say, you know what, that wasn't too bad, right? It was okay. I mean, one of the things I used to do is, I mean, when I would take an exam, I shared that I failed, you know, quite a bit when I would go in to try to take the exam, even though I knew the information. But I, I failed it because of the pressure that I felt to pass, right? Even though I knew the information, the pressure was so intense that I just freaked out and got so stressed that I couldn't focus on the actual material. But I got to a point to where I would go into a classroom and I said, look, you know, I had this phrase I used to say, I know what I know and I don't know no more. That's it, right? And then I'd go and take the exam. And what invariably ended up happening, Sherry, is I began to pass my exams, right? Because I freed myself from that pressure. I didn't worry about the grade, right? I just focused on what I knew. And if the exam that I had had all the questions that I had all the information to, I I filled it out. If there were questions on the exam that I didn't know the answer to, the professor gets to decide on what questions are going to be there. I don't, right? I have to study what I think is going to be on the exam. And if I was lucky enough for everything that I studied to be on the exam, I'm going to do great. If I was unlucky and it wasn't there, then I'd have to go back as your son did and retake the test or reread the chapter and come back again. But I, I released myself from that pressure and that stress. And the one thing that we as mentors, uh, I as a mentor, would look at is the responses and the emotions behind the failure. Because that is how we assess the growth and how they're learning from it. Because it's, it's a reaction behind that failure. Do they get depressed? How are they coping with the depression? Do they get anxious how they're coping with their anxiety? Or are they just denying? And those people that deny, and again, going back to the concept of accepting that as part of life, denying it, you know, I can tell that it's going to be a repetitive behavior because it's not about them. It's about other people. And being able to accept the reality and working on that failure is going to tell us as mentor that this is going to be a good kid. I mean, again, mistakes are are inevitable, you know, like in nursing, let's say medication error. We want nurses to be able to, we're making it a conducive environment for nurses to be able to report medication error. But don't be scared to report medication error because this is how we're, we're learning things. Is It's not about the nurse. Is it the schedule? Is it the process? Is it something about, you know, or a patient fall? Is it something about the bed? You know, it's not really just the person. It's the overall surrounding. So we encourage nurses to report medication error to be able to help other nurses that this doesn't happen again, because sometimes it's not about the nurse, it's about the process. And I think you've heard about that lawsuit, right? It's a, it's a huge lawsuit where the nurse reported it and now they want to, but, but eventually she was acquitted because 
we really do encourage nurses to be able to report those errors. And that's failure. And so even the nursing environment and the healthcare environment embraces failure. And we all help and work together to change that into something positive. And so it doesn't happen anymore. And so it's so much better if we share all our opportunities, our failures, and everything that we experience that sometimes makes us, un, you know, gives us that discomfort. Who, who is comfortable of sharing failures? But it's very important because it helps the person be at peace. That, that's a great point, right? And, and I thought about this earlier, then I thought about it again, and you just reminded me to, to, to briefly comment on this. And you had said something along the lines of, oh, you don't want nurses, you know, when they're filling out prescriptions, when they're doing their work, and they're doing, you don't want them to be scary, right? You don't want them to be fearful. We don't want anybody to be careless, right? But we do want people to do what is necessary and what they've been trained to actually do. There is a story about the you know, transistor radio that I, you know, I put in my, my book, in my, uh, the second book here. And it talks about how when Texas Instruments were trying to figure this out, there was some situations where they had all these scientists that actually came together. And uh, they knew that they were going to have to take risk, right? And it, it, so he goes through and he talks about, you know, what permissions they had and, and all of that and the freedom that they actually had to actually become successful. But what he also said that actually stood out to me was this, is he says that, you know, we knew there was an element of failure that was going to exist. So because we knew that there was an element of failure in trying to create the transistor radio and the kinds of things that were going on, we did not penalize their failure. We didn't punish them failing, right? So when you don't penalize, you don't punish, you make it okay to fail, people will amaze you. People will take the necessary risk. One of the reasons we ended up on the moon is because the risk that was associated with failing. They knew that there was going to be way more failures than there were going to be successes. But with all of those failures, right, along the way, it allowed for them to actually do what? Land on the moon, right? Because of the lessons learned. <laughs> so failure is good. <laughs> Look, I know this is a very challenging topic, uh, Sherry. I mean, it is. And uh, out there, the folks who are listening, guys, there's no perfect answer. You know, we're, we're free willing here. Uh, there's nothing uh, that's mapped out or sketched or anything. You know, we didn't prep. I don't like to prep for these because I want people to be honest. So when we talk about failure, Sherry, I can I can imagine, you know, what may be going on in your mind, right? It's just a tough topic for some. And those failures help us empathize and put ourselves in another person's shoe. And it puts us into that humility thing, grounded, you know, being grounded and keeps us humble. And no matter how successful a person is, that they're you know, you, you look back and it keeps us humble and keeps us connected to other people that no matter how high and, a, and successful a person is, we're all human beings. If we actually take out all those variables, we're equal and all the same. And being able to understand and be compassionate, and that's what's important, to be able to understand other people's failure too, because at one point, we all went through that. Yeah, what a great point. You know, you just said something that I wanted to talk about. I, I love it, man. This is great. And we can learn from other people's failures, right? And, you know, we don't have to criticize them when we see those kind of things. No, because we failed. We went through those too. And we don't want to be criticized too when we're at that moment and, and facing our life. And every time we start something, let's expect not to be perfect. 
in anything we start, you know, a hobby, I can't be perfect. If I want to start something, I'm sure th- I, I started cooking the other day. I mean, how many failed, you know, like, oh my gosh, does it even look like a food? It didn't look like food. So, so in even small things, we have those experiences. So what more for huge things? The more higher you want to climb, the more failures a person is going to go through. So there, there's no such thing as a perfect start. I mean, even a toddler trying to walk, how many falls? Yes, no matter how perfect we want it to be. When my eldest was born, I had everything perfect. Cameras, and he still falls out of the bed. I mean, and, and that's failure. Yeah, yeah, I know. But gosh, this you, you, the things that you're saying is so enlightening. And I, I really want the audience to really understand that, you know, you mentioned something about an equation a bit ago in terms of responses, and that reminded me of the equation that I came up with, be able to remind myself that when I fail, an equation, and I, and I have it in the book also, is, is simply F plus RR equals S. That's F plus RR equals S. That's failure plus right response equals success, right? So I'm hoping that people understand. And I've been asked before on a number of occasions, hey, sir, how do you define success or what's the ingredients for success? I said, guys, how am I supposed to answer that? You know, so I said, look, I don't know exactly what success is, what it looks like necessarily. But for me, you know, I've always applied four components, right? And those components are this. First, I had to believe that I could become successful. You had to believe that you could become a nurse, even if that was doubt, right? You had to believe it at some point. Most of the times, we will ask a person if they believe they can become successful. And because they feel conditioned to say, yes, that's what they say. They don't really believe it, right? So it's important to be really believe that you can become successful. So the second thing is that you have to focus, right? You know, in this technological world, I read a report the other day that said that the attention span of the average person, right, is about eight seconds. Eight seconds, you can't do much of anything unless you're a rabbit in eight seconds, right? So you have to believe, <laughs> you have to focus. And the third thing was Denzel Washington was giving a commencement speech at uh, some university in Pennsylvania. I can't remember which one. But he comes out on stage and during his speech, he says, when it comes to success, right, there are a couple of things that are incredibly important. One is that your faith, regardless of what your faith is, right, your faith should be important to you. He says that not only is it your your faith, that should be important. He says, luck, right? Luck has a certain part to play in your becoming successful. But he says that if you had perfect faith and the best of luck, you still got to do the work, (laughs) right? So you have to work hard. So you have to believe, focus, work hard. Now here's what the magic is. The magic is this, the fourth ingredient to the recipe, you have to fail, right? There's no way around it. You have to fail. So how does one become successful? He or she must believe, they must focus, they must work hard, and they must fail because in the failure is the opportunity, your word, to get better, to get wiser, to get stronger, to be more compassionate. The line of failure really doesn't exist. It's something we've been taught that exists. And what do I mean by that? You mentioned a few times, you know, about children. When kids are very young, before they've been contaminated with this negative failure mindset, right, they will go out and they will attempt an event of some sort. And if the child accomplishes that event, I mean, they're just kind of like, yeah, great. But if they don't accomplish the event, they just kind of move on to something else because they're no longer interested, right? They never think about it being failure until they are taught that it's failure. 
or until they're told that they're a loser, until they're told that they're a failure, until they're told that they're worthless, until they're told that they're not smart, right? So, and then begins our lifelong challenge of that one word, suffocating us, making us depressed and oppressed because of that single word. And I want to change what the failure is not the problem brand, that mindset. It's, it's the mindset, yes. That learned helplessness mindset. I mean, how many, an example is a person applying for a job and couldn't get in for, you know, five applications. What if they get into the sixth application, you know? It's just perseverance, persevering, and the hope. And you mentioned faith. But to persevere and and in every success, we have to sacrifice something. There has to be something sacrificed. I, I totally agree. You know, and, and, and people who say they don't have faith, not believing in something. Exactly. Faith in, in yourself that you can, that you believe you can do it. Mm -hmm. And we have trust comes faith. I have faith in my, you know, you have to have faith with, like the students have to have faith in the university when they apply that the university is going to make them good nurses. You know? No, I would hope that if, if, if nothing else, that people understand that, uh, you know, they can have faith that failure is going to make them better. It is absolutely, in my view, the greatest resource on the planet, right? And once we get to a point to where yeah, the lessons, that, that, that's right, because that's, that's all it is at the end of the day, right? Is learning, you know, from something in which we thought could not actually enable us to be able to become who we are. My failures along the way. Have allowed for me to become the person. Failure teaches us a, you know, this experience that no one can buy, and experience help us with critical thinking. Because just being bookish, I mean, even how many books you read about, it's really not going to make a person wise. Because experience helps the person to be wise. I mean, experience is the best teacher. Oh, golly. Experience is the best teacher. Could not have said it better. Yeah, exactly. Sir, this has been fantastic, man. This has been wonderful. I am so excited, man, that you have actually come on the program. I am hoping that the, you know, the people that are out there that are listening, you know, are really paying attention. You know, there may be some folks out there in the stratosphere who are really interested in, you know, becoming a nurse. If someone was interested in becoming a nurse and wanted to talk to you, or talk to a nurse recruiter, or get into forensics and these kinds of things. Is there a specific way by which you'd like to share with them in terms of how to contact you? To contact me about forensics or going to, into a nursing school? Well, I teach at UT Health San Antonio, UT Health Science Center San Antonio. If they're interested, they can reach out to me. It's Megarly at UT Health, Utesca, U-T-H-S-C-A dot E-D-U. Or they can go to the website of UT Health and go through the process, the admissions process. But if they want to talk to me, they're welcome to, especially the forensic part, because not there at that time, there were only 11 schools that offered graduate studies for forensics. Xavier University is one of them. And uh, it needs to have a passion. I mean, I've, I've, I went through a lot myself and, and I failed too, you know, like I wanted, right, I wanted to be uh, with the children, forensic, you know, get now talking to a three-year-old and asking them about you know, just gathering information and the evidence, collecting the evidence is what we call that, collecting the evidence of 
rape and abuse and that was really hard and it felt like a failure because I couldn't do it. I, I really couldn't do it. I couldn't. I was supposed to be neutral. I was supposed to be neutral and not be, there, there should be no biases between the perpetrator and the victim because all I was doing was to collect the evidence and that's it and present it to the court and present it to, you know, it's a legal thing. Now, I couldn't because I'm too biased and for me, it's a failure. I was so biased that how can someone do this to a three-year-old, to a two-year-old, a six-year-old? So I went and became uh, the adult forensics and actually it's a same nurse and actually I did very well there. So I had to go through that to be able to find where my passion lies and be able to empathize to those nurses that are going through, because I couldn't do it, going through like the same thing as oncology nursing, cancer patients, you know, it's so hard. I can't, I can't do it. And again, it's a failure for some people. I, I see it as a failure, but I grew so much from that experience. So. But anyway, if they want to contact me, so my email address is megoli at uthscsa.edu. Look, guys, I'm telling you, man, I am, look, I'm not a nurse now, but if I was thinking about it and I was on the cusp of actually trying to decide, Terry Megoli has actually just motivated me to, to the point where I would go and apply. If you have the intent and the desire and the longing to become a nurse, I am hoping that you guys out there listening have actually been motivated by Sherry to, to go ahead and apply. I mean, if you want to become a nurse, then the first thing you got to do is decide that that's what you want to do. I love what she said about you have to be passionate about it. I am passionate about talking about this failure concept and this failure brand because I know what it's done for me. And I know that it, it will change lives. It absolutely will. And if there's any doubt that you have within yourself, please uh, release that. Let it go. You're going to fail no matter what you do, whether you decide to become a nurse or not. Now, hey, look, we've just finished up uh, another episode. I am really excited, Sherry. I want to, you know, salute you and thank you so much for coming onto the show and helping those folks that are actually out there doing the kinds of things that you're doing for our nation and our world is so, so needed within the confines of the nursing field. And I'm hoping that just a single person who have listened to your amazing story today will take it upon themselves to reach out, to go, and to become that nurse that is much needed within the confines of our society today. Hey, look, this is George Milton. Failure is not the problem. I'm my LLC, America's Failure Coach. Please go out, um, listen to the podcast, subscribe, share those books. Go to Amazon and get Failure is Not the Problem. It's the beginning of your success. Or Failure is Not the Problem. It's your leadership for the last couple of books I've written. And looking forward to visiting with you guys and talking to you at the next time. Sherry, again, thank you so much for participating. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of Failure is Not the Problem podcast. If you enjoy what you heard, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review it on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or comments, any topic ideas, or you might want to be a guest on my show, you can reach me directly at georgeamilton.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the other side.